From the studios of the Optimism Institute, welcome to the Blue Sky Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Burke, and in every Blue Sky episode, we'll be speaking to leaders, researchers, and thinkers whose stories and insights will remind us that there is always blue sky above. Sometimes you just have to get your head above the clouds to see it. On past Blue Sky episodes, we've profiled people who are in various stages of retirement from their original career, or written books reflecting back on their life's journey, offering advice, that sort of thing. Today will be a little different. My guest, Dominique Wright, is in her early 30s and has already accomplished an incredible amount, but she's now just at the start of a new chapter, a time she describes as the most challenging of her life. Dominique is the founder and CEO of FAN, a technology marketing startup helping young college athletes navigate their name, image, and likeness opportunities. As she describes her story, you'll learn that she herself was a Division I athlete at the United States Naval Academy before going on to earn a law degree from American University Washington College of Law. And before creating FAN, she worked at the National Football League. Today's conversation will center less on what Dominique is doing today and more on how her own optimistic, can-do attitude has brought her through some very tough challenges to become the remarkable person she is today. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Dominique Wright, welcome to the Blue Sky Podcast. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. It is truly my pleasure. You are one of the more dynamic, upbeat, and optimistic people I've ever met. And so one of the things I'd like to do today is try to get a sense for where this comes from. Why and how do you think you became the person you are possessing these traits that I just described? I mean, it's definitely rooted in how I was raised. You know, I'll give credit being raised in a Christian household. So certain values that you you learn at a young age that, you know, just become a part of what how you live your day-to-day life, whether you go to church every weekend or not. There's just certain things you're instilled with when you're a young kid, like be a good person. and then, you know, a large majority of it comes from just the uh, how my mom raised us. And so my mom definitely raised us to be good people. Um, and we, you know, I'm from humble beginnings. So that's that's a good portion of of being raised a certain way. So no matter what our what our means were, no matter, you know, in and out of housing, struggling with food, it didn't matter. My mom never really taught us my mom always taught us to like be thankful for the things that we had, like be thankful. I, I she would always say like, be thankful that you have a roof over your head, clothes on your back, shoes on your feet, and um, you're breathing this morning. And the that's such a simple thing to say to somebody, but you have to understand like we were being told that when some days we were under someone else's roof, eating, you know, eating chips for dinner or whatever it may be. So when you're raising a household like that, where everything seems to be not where you want it to be, but your mother gets up every day and she shows you like the value of working hard and the value of having the right mindset. That's how you become someone like me who just like, I truly, my mental, my mindset is just like, if I put in the work and I believe in myself, damn it, I'm gonna get it done. And yeah. So when you have nothing and you have that mindset, it's like, then you just keep moving through the through life and then a lot of abundance comes comes to you. And that's that's really where most of it comes from. And a little bit of it also comes from just recognizing when you're from humble beginnings, you need help. You need support. You need you need a way to dream. You know, like people talk about like, yeah, you can be from humble beginnings. But when you have a mom who has a positive outlook on on the world and you have a mom that gets up every day and shows you like if you want something, you have to go work for it. But at the same time, you have a mom that like allows you to be right. Like we were hum- from humble beginnings. So we we had like sponsor families. We had people that came in and gave us stuff. And for me, at a very young age, I realized like, damn, if you put if you put goodness into this world, like it'll come back to you because there's many a nights that, you know, we needed blankets. We needed water. We needed school supplies. Um, and my mom wasn't able to show up for that, but she always put herself in a position to have the support to do that. So if you if you meet me, like I'm I'm definitely a networker, but I'm I'm also like I understand that like you can't get through this world by yourself. And you've mentioned we and us a few times. You have siblings. There are four of you total. So uh, I have two sisters and a brother. 
I am uh, the se- I have Deanna's the oldest. I'm the I'm the second. Demetrius is my brother, and he's the third. And then my baby sister Danielle. Okay. So, and we did you grow up mostly in the D.C. area? Yeah. So you know, I, I think one of the best questions to ask people is where they're from because you, you, you it's like what do they actually say, right? For me, I say Silver Spring. It's not because I was born in Holy Cross Hospital in Silver Spring. It's because I spent my formative years in Silver Spring um, up until sixth grade. I could like, yeah, we were sure we had times where we didn't have lights and water and things like that. But I had every Christmas that I wanted to have. I was outside playing roller hockey like I was in the woods like we we lived in the same place from when I when I from when I was little. We went I went to the same uh, elementary school the, the entire time. Things didn't really start getting rough for us until I got to sixth grade. So between sixth grade and high school, I moved around six times. We're in and out of homelessness. It, it was just rough for us. So after sixth grade, it's actually when I physically left Silver Spring, Maryland. But if you ask Dominique where she's from, Dominique is from Silver Spring, Maryland. Um, after that, we moved around a lot. We were in the DMV area, mostly Maryland, uh, Prince George's County. And uh, my mom moved to D.C. when I was in high school. But by that point, we were just so used to not going to our home schools that we all just picked where we wanted to go. And we, we lived on the metro and we did what we had to do to get to where we wanted to go. If there are any parents of young children listening to this who wonder if their hard work raising their kids will pay off, pay close attention to all the ways Dominique says she was influenced by her mom. Gratitude was clearly a defining mindset in the Wright household, contributing to Dominique's positive attitude, all the way down to being thankful for a roof over their head, shoes on their feet, and the fact that they are breathing. Her mom also instilled in her kids that if you put goodness into this world, it will come back to you. And Dominique saw that in action with the many small acts of kindness she and her family were recipients of when she was growing up. Getting back to our conversation, I asked Dominique about how she got the idea to go to the Naval Academy and how she was ever accepted there. I have to give credit to Carla Chris. She, she was a head coach at the Naval Academy, the track team, for a very long time. She's amazing. She's one of my life coaches. Um, just texting her the other day. Uh, she recruited me. And uh, when she started recruiting me, I just, one of my girl, one of my like good friends had already gone, like just gotten accepted to the Naval Academy. So it was like the buzz in the air. Like I played soccer with this girl. So we're like, yeah, like we're talking about the Naval Academy. And I'll be honest with you, Bill, like I, I didn't see this world where I was like, oh yeah, I want to go serve my country. And I, I'm just so patriotic and passionate, which I can say I've been an admissions counselor now for the Naval Academy. And that is awesome to see young 17 year olds knowing that they want to sacrifice it all. But for me, I saw health insurance. I saw, I saw a way out. I, I saw like, yeah, I, I saw my, like, I was like, if I go to this school, it's going to be free. They're going to take care of me. Now, granted, that's in like my 17-year-old brain. I didn't even know how much they were really going to take care of me. But for me, it was like, I was like fixated on random schools like Syracuse, University of Wisconsin, and uh, University of Georgia. And it's like, why? Like I had been to, I mean, Wisconsin I had been to, but the other ones, I hadn't been to those schools. But I, I just I just wanted to do that. And I so basically I had all these reach schools that I was applying to that like didn't really make sense. And then the Naval Academy kind of fell in my lap. And, um, yeah, I, I didn't initially get in. My, my test scores are really bad. My coach drove to my house like uh, a week before the prep school, a week before prep school, like started coach dro- drove to my house. She hand wrote like hand wrote on the back of this envelope, all the things I needed to do to make sure that I could get up to prep school on time. I still have that. Pay- I still have that letter to this day. And she's like, good luck. Let me know if you need anything. My mom put me on a one way ticket to Rhode Island and it was set from there. Was that the Navy prep school? Yep, the Naval Academy prep school. Oh, I didn't know you went there. Yeah, okay. so I went there for a year because my, my SAT scores and my and, and like I said, I bounced around schools for a while. So I my academic record just wasn't where it was or where I wanted to be. So yeah, here I am. I I got recruited and I just I saw a way out. I saw a way out for my family. I saw I saw a way to elevate myself. And I that's why I went for it. I didn't really go for it because I was like, oh, I need to serve. And um the Naval Academy just does a really great job when you're there, getting you on board with why you're there. So, and like what they need from you on the other side 
of those four years. So I, I'm I'm very comfortable telling my story of like, yeah, no, I I uncle I was not thinking like I need to go fly something. I was like, yo, I'm trying to get health insurance. I'm trying to help my family. I'm trying to build something for us and like build something for myself. And that was my way. That was my way out. So that's how that's how I got there. And given like my background, people got me, you know, they're they're trying to be a little bit more diverse, but I'm not gonna lie. Like when I first got there, uh, my the only person that could speak to this is Shirley Wilson, who's the dean of the prep school. We went through like six, three weeks of indoctrination. So we get in, we running around, screaming, doing all the things that you do in the military um, that, that are very important because details are important, right? You do that at the prep school, sort of a plebe yep. summer kind you of thing. You do it at, at the, the prep, prep school. school. So okay. you get to here. I am. Okay. I get to Rhode Island. I didn't even know they were gonna be yelling at me in Rhode Island. I was like, Yo, okay, here <laughs> we go. So. Stop yeah. Yelling. And everybody has their parents. So I, all my best friends today, like a like, uh, good amount of my girlfriends I met on that day and, and, and that year at prep school and all of them had their families. And I think back, I, I, this was just like, we were doing what we had to do. It was, this was 2007. So like, this is, my mom was in the mortgage industry. That thing was spinning way out of control. So it was like, here I am. I don't really know what I'm getting into. We do this three weeks of like physical stuff, training, making you a, you know, a Navy sailor. And that stuff was easy to me because I was just like, okay, you're a competitor. Just be a competitor at the end of the day. Like, don't be the person that's last. Right. Well, after all that was done, we had all these academic talks and I was so intimidated because when I was recruited by the Naval Academy, I wasn't paying attention to how hard the academics were. I was just like, yo, this school is cool. Like people wear uniform. Like this is, this is, this is, you know what I'm saying? Like coach was super chipper and stuff. So I'm like, yeah, but I get to prep school and they start talking about these academics, you know, in high school, I did what I had to do to get my GPA back to where it was. Cause like I said, I was in like a broken school system for a little bit. And so I went into, so on our like day off, we have like two days off between like our indoctrination and going to classes. And I just walked over to the Dean's office and I told her, and I think back, I don't know why I told my, why I said I wasn't very smart, but I said to her, I was like, I'm not the smartest, but if you give me the tools and you tell me what to do, I promise you, I will get it done. And I was like, if you lead the way, basically, I'm not going home. So you, you, you tell me how to teach me how to learn, teach me whatever. And that that's kind of my mindset all throughout the all throughout the prep school, which set me up for success at the Naval Academy. So by the time I got to the Naval Academy, I was, I mean, I, I felt good. Like I learned a lot at the prep school, and I just kind of dedicated myself to it because it was like. Yeah, I didn't have to go to I didn't have to go to tutoring every single day, but Dominique Wright was in tutoring every single day. And it, it just kind of goes to like I saw what I wanted and I did not want to be I did not want to finish last, that's for damn sure. And I damn sure didn't want to go home because to me there was no way there was nowhere else to go. So Dean Wilson knows that because she came up to me at the end and she was just like, Ooh, people with your test scores don't do this good here. And I was just like, I told you, you tell me what to do, I'll do it. I'll figure it out. Something to notice about Dominique is the way she reaches out and establishes meaningful relationships with so many people and gives them credit for the help they provided her over the years. Combined with her own incredible grit, it's an unbeatable combination. And speaking of her grit, I love the way at the Naval Academy Prep School she says, I promise you, I'll get it done. And how she reminds everyone, including herself, I am not going home. Moving ahead, I asked Dominique if, when she went to the Naval Academy itself, if she found herself standing out that much more on that campus as a woman with a very different background from so many of her classmates. Yeah, and it was it was very different from prep school too. So just to throw that in there, like prep school had a lot more diversity than uh, the Naval Academy. I will say this, I can confidently say only nine black girls, grad, other black females graduated in 2012 with with me. So, uh, and if it's nine is like, might be a stretch. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, under I'm 10. Top, yeah. Single under 10, digits. Let's go for that. Yeah. So that was, uh, you know, that was tough because, you know, it's not even just coming from humble. Well, yes. Humble beginnings was one thing because I'm like, yo, some of these kids legitimately have not even seen adver- the adversity that I've seen. It doesn't mean that they haven't seen adversity, but they have not seen the adversity that I've seen. Like, so that was different trying to, 
the Naval Academy has this thing where like they bring you all in and they strip you down of any type of ego and any type of whatever you thought you were coming into this place with. Sorry, it's, it's out of here. And so there's a level of that that you can appreciate because you're like, OK, we're all one. We're all the same. But then there's a level of that. It's like, well, what are we breaking us all down to? Because um, I feel like a goddamn outsider. You know what I'm saying? So that that there, there's challenges that come with that. And then, you know, like I remember being in my plebe summer, plebe summer, you, like for those who are listening, you have five basic responses. It's yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. You know, like it's these you you stick to those or you answer, you know, exactly what you're being asked. Right. And so there's not a lot of room to like be your own person during plebe summer, right? Like you can lead, you can shout louder than everybody, maybe run a little bit faster, maybe be a little bit more chipper, but it's not a lot of room to be your own person. And that's okay. For me, there was a, a, a time where like my, my squad leader who actually ran track, I, I ran track for the first three years, I mean, for the first year there, she pulled me in a room. She's like, hey, is everything good? Everything good? And I'm like, yeah, everything's everything's great. Like, uh, what's up? And she's like, ah, well, yeah, like the other detailers, they don't, they they just wanted to check in and see if anything was wrong with you because like they thought maybe you had an attitude. And I'm, it's like, that's the first step. I've been at this school for all, like less than six weeks. And if you know Dominique right, there's not a lot of attitude that comes with me. So you just, basically my resting black face is, oh, we don't really know what to do with that. So does she have an attitude? Like, is she okay? And I'm like, I have five basic responses. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I literally can't be a person. <laughs> How are you gathering attitude out of whatever it is that I'm doing? And so that, and that, that, that was like the, the, the first, like, it's a little different. This is different. Like I've never, there's not a lot of places in my life before I got to the Naval Academy where I was judged just purely like, and, and I could see them judging me purely on my skin color, right? Like Silver Spring, Maryland, you go to Silver Spring, Maryland. Oh, there's plenty of white kids. There's plenty. It's very diverse. There's not, it's not like this, like, oh, Dominique's just from an area that only has minorities. No. So for me, that was different. Cause I'm like, have y'all, do you not like, which would you like me to do? Would you like me to smile on the bulkhead? Uh, bulkhead is where you stand on the wall. So I'm like, I can't do that. So my natural non smiley face is threatening to you. And you're saying that's an attitude. I I'm sure you could talk to plenty of other people about their minorities, about their experience there, but that's difficult because you're, you're already trying to fit into this mold of something that you don't know. That's not really quite you. And then you have people judging you basically purely based on how you look. Right. Um, so that, those are things that, I mean, I've, I've really never really taught. I, I don't think there's a friend of mine that knows really that story, maybe one or two, like my minority friends, but it's, it's just, it comes with the territory. The Naval Academy is white. It's very white. And then it's very funneled down to be a certain way. And it's like, all right, who set the standards? Who are the standards for? Why did they exist? Right. That's a whole nother conversation, but I'll just say my first six weeks in. Yeah. It was like, okay, all right. So what do you do if you're a person like me? You start to try to change little parts of yourself so that you can fit in. Um, so it's a, that was when I look back at my Naval Academy journey, there's a lot of things that I came across that I was like, okay, that wouldn't fly with my other friends or like, I'm going to have to figure this out. So yeah, that I, I quickly noticed that it was different. Um, I had a lot of good allies. Like I went to the prep school. So there's a lot of diverse, uh, individuals around the school that, you know, you could connect with. Um, I didn't, I didn't really feel alone, but, um, I definitely will say that was like the start of just recognizing like, okay, this is, this is real life here. This is real life. So as some of our listeners, maybe most will know you, you sign up for the Naval Academy, you do your four years, you graduate, you're now an officer and you owe time. And I think you did more than you were required to do. Um, and I've heard you talk about the difference and I'd never thought of it this way. So you just describe the Naval Academy very well, especially in terms of representation. But then you become an officer and you're supervising and working with a much more diverse group. And it, I'd never really thought of it this way, but the minute you hear it, you know it's right in terms of enlisted people versus the Naval Academy. So what was that like for you? You you make it through the Naval Academy, which is tough on anybody, by the way. I have huge respect for anyone who's graduated from that place, and I know a handful. But what was that like? And was it was it a was it a good feeling to sort of get through the academy? Now you're an officer and you're dealing with a much more diverse group of people. Yeah. Oh man, Bill, it had its challenges. Um, but I felt like I was in my groove. I felt like I was in my sweet spot. Um, it was in and that's a side like 
learning and learning how to drive and fight a ship. That is a whole different conversation. Like that, that was also a part of what my job was. And were you on a ship? I should ask, where, where was your service? What, which part of the Navy? Uh, yes. So I was, uh, in San Diego on an amphib, which is now is no, it's uh, decommissioned the USS Peleliu. So amphib, like basically we work with, uh, Marines, blue green team. Yay. But, uh, we're, we're basically a Marine Corps aircraft carrier in, in simple terms. So I was on that and, and, the division that I had initially was the deck division. Um, so anybody who's familiar with the Navy, like deck, the deck guys are the ones who are working on the ship, like painting the ship, mooring the ship to, to shore, all that type of stuff. Any operations, getting fuel while you're underway, those guys, they're doing it. So I was in charge of them. So it was 35, it was 35 of them. It was uh, one female. All, everybody else is males. And it's, it, it's a diverse group of mainly, you know, minorities and for me, I was like, oh yeah, I'm in my groove. But here's the thing, I was getting a different set of challenges and I'm not sure if this is something that you would expect, but when I got in, it was like the chiefs, so the chiefs are in charge, like my liaison to the people that I'm in charge of, right? So as I'm talking to one of, basically my counterpart, that as I'm trying to lead this group, my chief was being very, he was just was giving me a hard time. He was treating me like he was like, oh, yeah, like you went to Naval Academy, like you're arrogant, like you're this, you're that. He was treating me like, oh, you don't know what it's like to be one of us. Like, you don't know. And um, I had a few moments where I had to like get out of character, but it, it felt like the right thing to do at the time where I just we kind of just cleared out the room. It was like all of our sailors in the room. And I, I just kind of gave him the same energy that he gave me. And I was like, I don't know who, who you think you are, but like, we're, we're, you don't know who I am. You've never walked a mile in my damn shoes. And like, you're not going to talk to me like this. You're going to give me exactly what I need. And the reality is I basically had to stand up to him and get a little out of character. And next thing you know, he was the most loyal person on the ship and all of my guys, like it was, it was like, I had to prove to them who I was because I guess a lot of the top leadership just doesn't look doesn't look like them. And the ones that do look like them, maybe they don't feel like they can relate. I don't know. But for me, I was just like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be treated as if like I grew up with a silver spoon in my mouth and like written off as if like I can't lead you guys because I went to the Naval Academy or whatever be at whatever you're thinking to yourself that does is not fair to me. I basically just had to challenge this guy. And I was just like, Oh no, I don't know who, what other young officers you've been yelling at and talking to, but Dominique is not about to take this. And the cool thing is as I challenged him next thing I had, they were the most loyal. I came to my desk the next day. They gave me like a, like they gave me like some free shoes. Like they basically were showing like, you're, you're, our, you're, our, you're our leader and we respect you. And um, it was, it was different for me because it was a different type of challenge. I'm like, and, and, and I've seen everything I'm talking about, I've seen later in life, right? Like they're, they're not going to be the first my, set of minority group that looks at me like, whoa, you came from there. You're not one of us. And I'm like, it, it doesn't even like, I don't have to be one of you, but also I am one of you. But like, it's, 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 it was, it was cool because after I got their loyalty, I just felt like, I just felt in my group. Like I could talk to my, I talked talk to my sailors. I understood where they were coming from. Like every problem that I saw, I felt like I saw somewhere in my life and I was able to really connect with these guys. And it was awesome. And honestly, I think in my wardroom, I was one of, there was two black females in my wardroom and there was also a Puerto Rican. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that diverse. I mean, I, I found myself in areas where sailors would come up to me and shake my hand and be like, you're the first black female officer that I've met. And that was in 2004. That was December 2014. Here would be a good time to explain that I met Dominique through my niece, Molly, who also attended the Naval Academy. They didn't overlap in class years, but met through the school's lacrosse program. Yes, Dominique also played lacrosse at Navy and was a starter on their Division I team. So from family and others I know who went to school at Annapolis, I have a sense for just how tough it is there, especially that first plebe summer. This makes Dominique's story about being questioned about her attitude after just six weeks that much more powerful. But instead of letting this extra scrutiny bury her, she says to herself, okay, all right, I'm going to have to figure this out. And back to the theme of making deep connections with people, she talks about finding allies on campus 
to be sure she never felt alone. Then she graduates as an officer. Another thing that's important to realize about the Naval Academy is that once you're out, you're often thrown into intense leadership positions at a very young age. So here's Dominique on a ship, supervising 35 people, and despite their more diverse backgrounds, because of her education and training, she's made to feel different once again. Her experience shows that you can have the most optimistic, can-do attitude in the world, but you're still going to have moments of truth, like Dominique did here. But she met things head-on and earned the respect she needed to do her job. I asked her to reflect on where she got the backbone to stand up like this and how much of that might have been from her academy training. You know, Bill, for me, you know, like I said, I came from humble beginnings. I worked two jobs in high school and I also did all my sports. Like I, and, and what I mean by that is like, I under, I understand how to communicate and I understand how to, um, to talk to people in workplace environments. And like, so for me, the Naval Academy, sh- what the Naval Academy did for me is it showed me like, okay, Again, other people deal with their adversity doesn't look like yours. And it also it it showed me like there is just a a level of privilege that some kids are born into and have. And the it's not so much that like it exposed me to that and it exposed me to that in the best way. So now when I move through the world and I go to interact with people, I'm not judgmental. I'm I'm understanding. I'm gonna meet you where you are, right? And so the Naval Academy helped me polish both sides of that. So it's like, yeah. I've been from the hood, like I've, I've been around people who are broke and like gone through a lot of things. And now I've been around people who have a lot of things that are born into these things and don't even know what they have. And so to me, I've, be, I've, I've figured out a way to socialize through them both and I get judgment on both ends. So like on, you know, uh, at the Naval Academy, they're looking at me like, okay, you don't look like unless you have an attitude or uh, even when I was in the Navy, like I had a situation where I had a disagreement with an officer and the XO didn't he didn't know me. He had only been on the ship for three weeks. And he's like, okay, let me talk to the other officer and get his side because you probably had an attitude when you responded. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I probably had a what? Like, again, any person that is saying to Dominique, you had an attitude, like you don't, you, that means you don't actually know me because I don't, I don't move in that way. Like, so to be written off that way is very frustrating, but then to be around people that look like you, that look like you and because you don't speak like them and you you have a level of confidence and and whatever they want to write you off as well or it's that is my life I live that every day like and and that also goes back to my mom she taught us you speak like you have sense speak like you know how to speak you speak well because that's that's how you've been taught so yeah I have little slang here and there but at the end of the day I'm authentically going to show up like this in any damn room that I'm in whether it's a room full of minorities or a room full of you know, non-minorities. So it's a, it's for me, I've dealt with that challenge on both ends and uh, I kind of like it. It's fine. Like it makes me a better person. Like I, I move in groove. Uh, I connect with people. It's all about the connection at the end of the day. Like, so I'm, I'm just trying to find best ways to like connect with people and, and uh, build relationships. And I'm not so drawn to what you look like. And um, I mean, where you're from matters to some extent, you know, like your values and stuff like that. But did you ever, uh, did you ever consider career Navy? I mean, you were, so I believe you, you did more, I say did time. You, you, you uh, were in the Navy longer than you were required to be. Did you think about a career in the Navy? And then, because I, I want to ask that next question, where the heck did law school come out of all this? Yeah. So I d- thought about careering the Navy, not not as a swell, not as a ship driver, which is a service warfare officer swell. I thought about lat transferring to the JAG Corps, and I applied three times, probably officially twice. I think I had like an empty application one of the times, but I never got picked up. And law school is <laughs> it's a definition of me just being who I am. Law school is a is a is a, is a um, job I picked out of a book back when I was in sixth grade. Um, I read Dr. Ben Carson's uh, autobiography, and in my brain at the time, he was you know a kid from uh, humble beginnings with a single parent mom. He enrolled in ROTC. He got his life together, and uh, he somehow became a brain surgeon. And in my mind at the time, I was like, okay, I definitely don't want to be a doctor. So I just picked lawyer and. It's, it was, it was like, it was in the whole theme of Black History Month. I did a big report on him. 
And I was just like, I want to be a lawyer. And, and we, unfortunately, uh, my family, um, and I don't remember the year, but right after sixth grade, we were evicted and lost like a lot of our belongings, um, like out on the street on a rainy day, came home from track meet, like everything we've ever owned was on the street. And so going through that process with a lawyer also kind of sparked my interest. And I just kind of blindly chased it. I just was like always in my back pocket. Even if you read my admissions letter to the Naval Academy, I talk about being a lawyer. It's something that I've always wanted to do. Because you worked with a lawyer in that situation who was helpful. Because a lot of people don't understand, you know, there's all kinds of law you could practice. But you had an early experience with a lawyer who was actually helping. Yeah, it was helping us. Yep. Like uh, taking us in to do like uh, interviews and things like that. And it was um, I remember going to his office. I remember training to his office. And I, rem- I remember I remember when that money hit. Like I remember my mom, you know, like I remember all of that. And so I kind of just blindly chased it. And when I say blindly, I really didn't know. I, I didn't know what law school was really about until I got there. Like, and um, I, so I thought I was going to like the Navy because I wanted to pick, get picked up for the JAG Corps. So I was like, oh, if I get picked up for the JAG Corps, I'll stay in. But once I, once they kept rejecting me and I got some acceptance letters from law schools, I was like, we're going to get out and we're just going to do this. And um, that, that's how I got to law school. I just, I just kept chasing it. In other episodes of Blue Sky, we've talked about the shadow of leadership and the ripple effect that positive role models can have on people. It's amazing to hear Dominique reach back to a grade school project on Ben Carson to explain the first time she thought about becoming a lawyer. And then the story of an actual lawyer who did right by her family and what a strong impact he had on her life. And back to her optimistic attitude, think about all the times Dominique has had to respond to rejection. She didn't get into the academy, but she stuck it out at the Navy's prep school and eventually got in. As an officer, she wanted to be a JAG, but they never accepted her for that, so she left the Navy and went to law school. Hers is a story of resilience and perseverance. In getting out of law school, she continued to set her sights high, and I asked her about what she did after graduation. Was the NFL your first job out of law school? NFL was my first real job out of the Navy, yes. I did an internship at the NFL Players Association. So when we talk about putting in the work and we talk about like staying positive, I came off of a smooth eight years, seven years of work experience, uh, work experience that I find very valuable. I thought I had a lot to add to the sports world, but my way in was an internship. So I swallowed my pride and I did the internship for a year and, uh, you know, those guys over there, like the internship at the NFLPA is absolutely lights out. Like Mark and Stephanie run a, a tight ship over there and it's awesome. So that for people who don't know, that's that's basically the union, the, the Players Association. Yeah, is the, the Players, Players Union. union. Yep. OK, so I did that. I got out of law school. I, I graduated from my laptop pandemic, you know, having some fun. I spent a year unemployed and uh, I saw March 2021, I saw an opportunity to work at the NFL uh, remotely, a business uh, legal affairs team job. And I was like, uh, yeah, like I'm obsessed, obsessed with football. So I was like, I, I can work for the NFL from my house in D.C. Like I got to at least try. And um, that's how we're at, that's how it started. Incredible experience up there. My boss, Rachel, absolutely amazing. And she made she made it she just made it doable for me. She made it so that I didn't always have to go to New York. Um, but it, it, it was great. It was a great experience. And I just, instead of like law school is my dream, I got to law school. I was like, okay, this is not really what I want to do, even though I've been dreaming about this forever. And instead of just giving up, I, I, I got that bucket. I, 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 I graduated law school. I did the legal stuff. And then I was like, all right, I'm on to the next thing. Like I, I, it, the more I learned about sports and the more that I was like, figuring out like how the whole landscape works. I was just getting more excited. Like, oh yeah, there's a lot of things I want to get my hands in. And law was like, not on the top of that list. It's amazing though. I'm thinking about it. You know, you go from your upbringing, you go to arguably one of the most prestigious military academies in the world. You go to a prestigious law school and then you want to get into sports. So let's go to the most prestigious, successful sports organization in the world. (laughs) The NFL, why not? Yeah, you know, go big or go home, baby. (laughs) And by the way, I have the advantage of knowing you and also seeing you right now. So when Dominique is telling all these stories, she has a smile that's like a thousand watts 
uh, and it's 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 in full form right now. So so what was that like in the NFL? You know, what was that culture like? What was it like to all of a sudden you're it's one thing to be a football fan. It's another thing to work in the NFL. What was that like? The NFL was absolutely amazing. Like uh, having a great boss, like I said, the head of business legal affairs, Rachel, absolutely amazing. Like she was amazing. She set, she set me up for success there. But the culture, like, again, I was only there for a year, but I, I loved it. And, you know, I have to say, like, not only did I go and work for the NFL, my team went to the Super Bowl the year that I was working there, and we won. All right. Tell us who your team is, because I know. I'm, you know, I'm an L.A. Rams fan. I, it started St. Louis. My family is from Missouri and, like, Nebraska, Midwest. So um, I grew up as a L- uh, St. Louis Rams fan, and I, I just kind of followed them out to California. Um, so I really should just say I'm a St. Louis Rams fan and then let people connect the dots. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm a, I'm a diehard Lions fan, sadly. And so I was, I was, Wait, really? yes, I was born in Detroit. I and I, one of the reasons I need to be an optimist is because I root for the Detroit Lions and I was, I was rooting for your quarterback because he paid his dues in Detroit. So we were at least on the same team for one day. Mm-hmm. There we go. So, so you're at the NFL for a year, you go to the Super Bowl, your team wins but you're not at the NFL anymore. Did you have a, you had an itch you needed to scratch? Yeah, I, um, I was very, while I was at the NFL, because I, again, I humbled myself and I took an entry level role. Not that that really matters to like, it only matters in context to, I actually, there was work to be done, but I had a little bit more room to do other things because I'm not like this senior level role or, you know, manager. I do my job. And then, my boss was very encouraging of like, yeah, get out and talk to people, like get out to other departments, get out to football ops, get out to player personnel and get out to sponsorship, like DEI events. So I, I found my way all around that building and um, I just learning and soaking in as much as I could. And um, while I was doing that on the side, I was working with college athletes and that honestly, my coach called me up, my, my lacrosse coach, Cindy, she calls me up and she's like, Hey, uh, I need you to help me out with this kid. And I'm like, like basically telling me to help her with this kid. And I'm like, all right, I'll help you, uh, with this lacrosse player. So I ended up representing this one lacrosse player, uh, Taylor Moreno. And we, we had a, you know, I, I was learning, I was, you know, learning, we're kind of learning at the same time, but I just did my due diligence. I went and got certified as an agent. Uh, and next thing I know, I just start more kids start coming, more parents start asking questions. And I'm like, okay, to protect myself because the NIL agent, no, no offense to any NIL agents, that's just not where the money is. So I was like, I, I'm taking on way too much liability. So I just started the LLC to uh, do like a consulting agency just to cover myself. And so here I am working at the NFL full time, but on the side, I'm consulting with athletes like in, like in the college space. And this for people who don't follow it as closely, NIL, name, image, and likeness. So you're, you're, in this at the dawn of a whole new dynamic where students in college, and I've recently found out even high school kids are doing this now, which I did not know, um, you, but you could you could actually make money on your name, image, and likeness, whereas in the past, the NCAA could do a video game and it could be you know a Navy athlete with right on the back of her jersey and you don't get a dime. That's changed. And so all of a sudden, you're, you're right front row in the dawn of a whole new era in college sports. Yeah. So for me, I was doing it on the side. I met some founders just through networking and they're like, yo, let's, let's, let's amp this up a little bit. And uh, me being who I am, I, they, they pitched me. I was like, okay, let's go. And uh, my contract for the NFL was over. Yeah. This time last year, this exact day, March 29th. And I, yep. uh, My boss, anniversary, (laughs) my boss says to me, she's like, do you want to extend? Like we can extend you like whatever you need. And I was like, you know what, Rachel, I'm going to go, I'm just going to go, I'm going to go bet on myself and we're going to go, like, I'm going to do this, go work for myself. So essentially I left the NFL to start a company. It has been quite the year. And I'll just say that. Um, and I, I, I would say the biggest things that I've gotten out of it so far is I just, I've, I've always been pretty humble but this this entrepreneur space, this startup world, like you gotta check your ego at the door. Like nobody has time for that. Like like for me, somebody who who was a novice at this, that I I needed to learn so much. 
quickly. And because I'm a competitor and because I'm mentally stronger than I than I am physically, I am like, okay, we're going to learn this, Dominique. So just shut up. Don't be defensive. And I'm saying it so easily, but Bill, it has been so hard. It has been so hard to swallow your pride and shut up and not defend your product in certain instances or like just try to get your point across, but maybe you're using too many words, but you're talking to people who know how to communicate just very efficiently. The imposter syndrome, like, like I said, like I've talked about my whole story. I've walked in and out of things with a lot of confidence all throughout my life. Uh, you could argue I should have it or not, but I mentally have always been stronger than I feel like everybody in the room. So for this, this has just been very different for me because I'm like, I'm mentally strong, but I feel like I'm just getting punched in the face over and over and over again. And it's one of those experiences that you just don't understand until it happens. I'm like broker than I've ever been. I've like, I've taken so many L's this year. I'm, you know, my, I'm under a house remodel, which is like completely separate, but that is, comes with a lot of L's as well. But the, to me, I think in the end though, it's like, I'm still standing and I'm fine. Like I'm okay. Like, but it's, it's just been a very hard process. And for me, I left the NFL, had the audacity to give them the peace sign. Like, all right, I'm out. Like, I'm like, I'm on to bigger and better things, you know, like I am, but at a cost. All right. Like it is, it's, it's been a, it's been a journey, but, um, I, I would say like, I'm, I'm just very blessed that I've lived most of my life in my head. Like I dream and I, and I, and I, and I, I stir everything upstairs and then I just, I go from there. And it's, it's one of those things where this, this journey would get the best of you if you're not mentally strong. Once again, at the NFL, Dominique dives right in and meets people. As she says, she found her way all around that building. And she lucked into her favorite team winning the only Super Bowl played when she was at the league. And yes, the Rams were led by Matthew Stafford, a quarterback from the lowly Detroit Lions, who could also do an entire podcast episode about setbacks and losses, for sure. But while having a great time at the NFL, Dominique makes another courageous and optimistic choice to jump out of that secure world into the unknowns of a startup. Something we talk about a lot at the Optimism Institute is that being optimistic doesn't mean being ignorant of challenges. Listen to Dominique describe incredibly honestly just how tough this startup path has been and just how much she has to tell herself that she's going to learn this and she'll make it through. I asked her to tell us more about her new company, FAND, spelled F-A-N-D, and what exactly they do. We're building a software tool for um, brands to manage college athletes uh, at, at the simplicity of like they have a management, like a software that manages them and the athlete just simply gets a text message and you can manage all these athletes from this from this software. But the athlete does not have to do much at all, but be respond to you very simply like yes, no, things like that. And we're getting to the meat of it. It's, it's getting exciting. We're almost like getting closer to launching this thing. And um it's only getting crazier if I'm being honest. Um, but I'm here for it. I'm built for it. I feel good. Um, and I'm just trying to make sure that I'm always mentally where I need to be so that I can perform at my best. Well, it's back where we started this conversation. To me, entrepreneurship is one of the ultimate expressions of optimism (laughs) because you have to believe in a better future that you're creating a product that's going to be better. That's going to stand out. And and I think one of the things that you're experiencing, and I talk to people when they're thinking about leaving maybe a bigger, more established organization for the startup thing, and it's like, go for it, but just know <laughs> you've been in an environment with layers of security and support and back offices and redundancies and you know nice office and all this stuff, that's going to be gone. And I think what you just described is what just about every single entrepreneur has experienced. And for you to take that step out of a, out of, like I said, the most established successful sports organization in the world to jump into the deepest of deep ends, I just give you huge credit. And it's a credit to your, your optimism and and your belief in yourself and, uh, and get yourself up every day to, to stay at it. It's really impressive. Yeah. It's, um, I, I'm, I, the mental part of it, like the, the optimistic and like mental part of it is everything. Like I believe in what we're doing. 
And um, I'm like, I won't let up. And I'm like, as after this year, I'm still standing. I don't know what what's in store, but I, to me, this has been the hardest year of my absolute life. And I've been through a lot in my life. Like, I, I, I want to just say like, with entrepreneurship, and I don't know if it's the same for you, Bill, probably not. But like, for me, I'm not a big crier. I cry probably every two weeks. And I just have to cry. Like, I have to cry. But I'm not sad. I'm not, I'm okay. But my, my body, I just got to cry. And I find myself to stay mentally where I need to be. I need to cry. I need to sit in silence and meditate a little bit. And I need to dance. I dance. I put on music and I just dance all around my house. Like that is that is like the like how my play and that is what I do for myself. And I'm okay. Like I I, I wish I had a little bit more money right now. But other than that, like I, I'm okay and I, I'm grateful for it. And I just can't wait to tell kids like from backgrounds that I'm from that like you know you coming from the ever like coming from humble beginnings like. I'm stronger than anything that anybody's going to put in my way. And that's just so real, Bill. Like when you, when you are like growing up and you're trying to figure out, you're still learning who you, who you are as a person and you have to deal with like, all right, I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know where I'm going to eat. I don't know. And you figure that out. Like that is hard. And so for me mentally, like I'm, 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 I'm here for it. Like I'm, I'm mentally prepared for anything that the entrepreneurship world can throw at me. I wasn't, um, I just wasn't prepared for all the different languages and different terms and like how to think like a CEO and how to, you know, prioritize and how to delegate. Like some of these things, I'm just like, I thought I was good at them. I, I'm relearning how to be better and more efficient at them. So it'll, it'll happen though. Well, and I'll tell you, I hadn't thought about this until you told me that story about being exposed to a lawyer in sixth grade. And seeing how they can help people in a tough situation. These young athletes are walking into a world that, you know, there's upside for them. And there are predators out there who just want to use them, you know, to sell their stuff or whatever. And so in a very different, very different way, you're actually serving a similar role to help these young people navigate the big world out there. It's pretty cool to see that come together. No, exactly. That's the, it's like... We're out here working hard to put this software together for brands. The reason why we're going to set ourselves apart is because we're we're thinking about the athletes. We're thinking, let's build this software for these brands in order to make it easier for them to communicate with athletes. Okay, what's hard for athletes? Oh, they don't have a lot of time. They don't have a lot of experience. Like they do not understand some of this stuff. Okay, instead of having humans handholding these guys through this, let's do technology and let's feed them bite size and let's help them build their brands. Let's help them get to where they ultimately want to go without like faking it a little bit. Like some of these other companies are like, oh, we'll get you a deal. We'll do this. And the kid like replies six days later. Sorry, that's not how the business world works. If you want to be in the business world and you want to monetize your NIL, get on board with the business practices. And, and, and we know you're busy, but we can use technology to help you understand this landscape and move you along so that you, you're not just the kid that's like, oh yeah, I'm just here for the money. Where's the money coming from? And it's like, that's not that that NIL is not going to stand that long. Like maybe for your top quarterbacks and stuff, okay, got it. Like donors, yay hey. But for everybody else, no money. The cute spending in NIL, I can't tell you when it's going to end, but it's not going to always be there. And and again, we it's like looking at it. What competition? As my friend Amy always says, like it's in NCAA, like college athletics is trying to set you up for life after competition, right? So we're not setting you up for success, and we're just like, yeah. Put your name in a pot. We'll, when you, we'll hit you up if a deal comes. Like, no. Like, if a deal comes to you, you respond within a certain time. Be a business person. And if and if you don't want to be a business person, don't monetize your NIL. Go just play your sport. Like, this is that simple. So I love that you said that because that that's that's the whole thing. I I was like, I'm gonna use this lawyer brand, and we're still gonna help people. When I made that pivot to leave out of like, I was like, oh, I want to do public interest law. Nope, no, I don't. I don't want to save the world that way. I want to save the world in ways that I feel like the world has saved me. I, I got brought onto a track team when I was eight years old. Every parent that I know has fed us, brought us to track meets. We, we, we stayed at their houses. They, they clothed us. They did everything for us. When I got to the Naval Academy, same thing. You know that, Bill. That's how we know each other. Like Everywhere in my life, my friends through sports have helped elevate me and have helped elevate my life. So in my mind, I'm going after what has set me up for success. And I'm just very grateful and blessed that I'm able to 
take this software and try to help these kids. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that's exactly what it is. Like we're just trying to, we're trying to help. Well, Dominique, I can't think of a better way to end our conversation than on that upbeat note. And I will tell you, you're one of those people that when you get to know, when one gets to know you, they want more people to get to know you because people deserve to know Dominique. And so one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is to uh, amplify that message and the positivity that you exude and the incredibly inspirational story that you tell. And uh, you have so many people in your corner rooting for you, and you're going to have many more after they listen to this podcast, I promise. And uh, I just can't thank you enough for your time and for for everything that you are. You're an amazing Bill, person. I'm not going to try to one-up you, but thank you. I think you're amazing, and I know you know that. <laughs> So I, 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 thanks for the opportunity. I love what you're doing and um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm just excited to see where this thing goes. I'm excited to maybe do a part two. There you go. <laughs> thanks so much, Dominique. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate it, man. It's a pleasure. So this is where Dominique is now in the throes of the challenges of the startup CEO's life. And when she says it's the toughest time she's ever had, you know it's hard. But in typical fashion, she's digging deep to stay optimistic, dancing around the house, and taking encouragement through thinking about the athletes that she and her colleagues are trying to help. She's even optimistic and encouraging about this fledgling podcast of mine. And I'll tell you what, I am absolutely planning on that part two episode with Dominique sometime soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Blue Sky with Dominique Wright. We'd appreciate it if you can take a minute or two to leave us a rating or review and consider subscribing to this podcast to be sure you don't miss any episodes in the future. And if you're enjoying Blue Sky, please spread the word and also consider following the Optimism Institute on social media. Until next time, I'm the host of Blue Sky, Bill Burke, and I thank you for listening. <laughs>